Hello and welcome to another episode of Loathe Like Love, a series from the producers of Beyond Bechdel. I'm Contrera and hopefully by now you know the drill. If you're a newer listener, welcome. In these shorter episodes, I look at things in the media that have caught my eye and provoked a strong reaction, whether it's a negative or a positive one. And there seems to always be a theme that arises. If you have any thoughts on what you loathe, like and love, you can contact us at our website, Beyond Beckdale, that's B-E-C-H-D-E-L.com, or you can email us at beyondbeck at gmail.com and you can tweet us at beyond underscore Beckdale. And now on with this week's episode, which you have already seen is called I Am The Law. It is becoming increasingly hard for film and TV producers to meet the demand of an audience that, because of the pandemic, has been forced to stay at home more, shelter in place, isolate, social distance and watch far more TV and films. I find myself always leaning on Netflix as a provider of up-to-date content. I read an article that said that they have months of content that they've got a release schedule for something new, whether it's series or films or acquisitions, uh, every single week for the continuing future, which I'm sure they're extremely happy about because um, I know they've also had growth on new accounts um, and also Pez Vise. We're all watching Netflix more I've gotten to the point now where I actually now go to the latest and notification sections on my Netflix box because I want to see what's coming. I'm so rabid for more content and things to watch. And um, I think it was about a year ago or so I discovered Criminal. Criminal started in the UK and is written by George Kay and Jim Field Smith, who are both British. And I got into it in the first season because the caliber of the cast was amazing and particularly Hayley Atwell was in an episode that I loved she has pink hair in it and she's absolutely brilliant I just find her amazing in everything she does I think also David Tennant was in there um and it was probably quite white that was the problem and so for season two which came out last week Um, The writers, obviously, and Netflix took notice of this and wanted to diversify the cast, which I was very happy about. One of the features of Criminal is that ordinarily you would say it's the same as any other police procedural and it's very much set like 90% in an interrogation room uh, between a group of police officers and a possible criminal or witness or something of that denomination it's very wordy it's all about wordplay and conversation and uh, the writers have obviously done an excellent job in creating suspense in these one-off episodes which are not related each hour-long episode is an individual case that's played out through this interview one of the other things that drew me too criminal I'm not gonna lie is that it's a little bit glossier than I'd say the average British TV procedural criminal is able to do this because of its set in this room it which seems to be overlooking um, some glamorous light studded area of London it always seems to be happening in the 
evening as well these interviews and the rooms have got these like cool red laser lights and all of this kind of thing and um another thing that drew me to it was Catherine Kelly as the kind of lead investigator the people work for her a woman at the top of a team in the police work is always exciting criminal has also been made in uh, France, Germany and Spain. I don't know if it's exactly the same plots. I've tried to watch a couple with subtitles on but I realised that I didn't like it as much because I didn't recognise the actors which is terrible but there's something about these individual set pieces every episode and the high calibre cast that makes me want to tune in. I was even more excited by season two when I found that the cast was Sophie Okonedo, Kit Harrington, Sharon Horgan and Kuna Naya, um, all really high profile actors, equal male and female. These are all the people who are called the accused. The key cast is still the same of the interrogators. But I saw that advertisement. I was like, yes, cannot wait. And as soon as it came out, I have a guilty confession to make, which is I went straight to episode two, which was the episode with Kit Harrington in it. So even when making a podcast about the role of women in film and TV, I still went straight to the episode starring a white man. I hold my hands up. I apologise. But um, I haven't seen Kit Harrington in anything. I don't think much since Game of thrones and i really like him as an actor and i saw a trailer i think for criminal season two on netflix and i was excited by his character because he looked horrible what i am about to say is based on two episodes of criminal which are episode two and episode three of four and in both of these cases i watched the episodes with the white people in now didn't mean to be that way i skipped sophie okonedo's episode which is one to go to kit harrington's and then i let it roll on to episode three which was sharon horgan's and then i had to stop it because i had issues it might shock you to find out after listening to this that this is actually in the loathe section of this podcast and it's because of the very specific cases that are brought up in criminal and what they may say about the portrayal of women and women's actions on tv i'll quickly summarize the episode starring kit harrington his character's called alex um because i think it's important to know the entire context and I also feel like this episode of Loathe Like Love shows how complicated it is to portray nuance in people's behaviour and whether that's doing good or bad for gender relations. In this episode, Alex is an estate agent, which you find out at the end of the episode in a quite a jokey way. And it talks about him going to the pub with his sales team on a Friday night and then having a few drinks with a few people getting drunk and eventually taking a new younger female staff member home then in excruciatingly intimate detail alex has to go through exactly what happened in his house because it turns out that the woman he slept with is accusing him of rape and what I'm going to do now is probably spoil the episode. So if you don't want to hear this, please stop this. Maybe watch the episode of Criminal, see how you feel about it and then come back and listen. If you don't mind being spoiled, then please carry on listening. So the interrogation does seem to be quite standard in the sense that there is a, a 
female cop and a male cop and Catherine Kelly is the female cop and she is interviewing Alex and very much all the way through the episode you are drawn to thinking that he's the guilty party that he is an arrogant typical drunk man who takes advantage of a woman and doesn't understand the signs and the sting in the tail of this episode is that actually what happens is and nothing is concretely proven which is where the writers do a good job of saying how you don't really know what happened between two people it's an in, it's an interrogation of one person's story and many things could be misconstrued but it turns out in the end that he thinks that he didn't rape the girl and it's discovered that in a previous job she had allegedly pulled a stunt where she had slept with an older boss and then tried to extort money from him by saying that she'd go to the police and call it rape and then she was given some money as a payout and left the job so there is insinuation that this woman is doing the exact same thing to Alex and this was really hard for me to take Obviously, there must be situations in the world where this happens. And we can talk about how women can falsely accuse men of rape. It has happened. I would say that I do not think it happens at nearly the percentage of rape cases that are never brought to trial or convicted happen and I think we need to think about the context of when you portray something in a TV series you kind of make it sound like it happens far more regularly than it actually does. However, it does happen. The issue here is that the woman is never interviewed herself in able to give her side of the story. This is all taken from circumstantial evidence on text messages and messages her and her friend and obviously the case details of the previous rape charges it also means that by the end of the episode you've definitely put Alex into this villain category which perhaps is something that we see more often on tv than we see women playing in a spider's web and catching men by lies but by the end of the episode you don't 100% know what happened and I think that the writers were trying to emphasize how difficult it is to secure a rape conviction but for me all it did was make me think that people will be watching this potentially a lot of men and they will be thinking oh my god women make this stuff up all the time when just because a woman maybe made this up previously or decided to get paid off because she didn't want to go through rape proceedings that doesn't mean she can't get raped in the future it doesn't mean that this wasn't the similar situation and it doesn't mean that rapists are going to get convicted any more easily there was a really lovely section in the middle of this episode it wasn't all bad but in this section Alex's female solicitor and by the way I can't remember the names of the female characters I just remember the names of the person in the episodes that's what the episode's entitled but again holding up my hands to my uh, gender credentials I don't remember the women's names um the solicitor actually sheds a tear she's an excellent actress I'm going to try and find out her name to commend her um where she talks about how in rape cases um the police when they're trying to prosecute they're always trying to get 
the assailant to admit that they raped someone or thought that what they were doing was rape because under the law you have to kind of have the um what's known as the actus reus and the mens rea so the actual event or proof of that the thing happened the physical act and then also the mens rea being that you thought you were raping someone that you didn't think it was consensual sex and obviously that's really hard to determine a person's thoughts without them putting them on record and so the lawyer says to him don't worry about them trying to get you to say something they can't prove it with any evidence that they have because even if there is evidence of rough sex and tearing for a woman which there was in this case um that's still not proof because the law says oh anyone could be having rough sex and that doesn't mean that it wasn't consented to and that just made me feel absolutely terrible even though it's true you don't like to hear it and see it so starkly as that because I couldn't possibly talk for every woman but I think when a woman has had some tearing from rough sex then the chances are that has been something against her will unless you're into BDSM of which there's nothing wrong with that but you would probably admit it in some way um the chances are I think this means that a man has taken things too far now people might disagree with me and like I said I'm really happy that the episode highlighted these things but at the end of it I felt like casting aspersions on a woman's story is something that we shouldn't be portraying on tv and film just yet not until rape convictions are higher and we have more portrayals of men thinking that they've had consent to have sex with someone and then being informed that they haven't been so that was episode two just you know compelling stuff but really made me feel uncomfortable okay nice and simple let me tell you what happened everything i can remember in order so episode three we uh, move on automatically thanks netflix for that i didn't stop it and um we get on to the episode which is starring a woman this time um uh, the character is actually called Danielle Dunn, who's played by Sharon Horgan, who's the star of this episode. So she gets a surname. Kit Harrington didn't get a surname. Um, and bearing in mind, I think there's something to be said about this episode following from the previous episode. And again, I haven't watched Sophia Canedo's episode yet, so I don't know what that shows. But the impression I get from all the episodes of Criminal that I've watched is that no one's completely innocent or every story there's a hidden meaning to what you think it's about. Um, so, yeah, bearing in mind what I'm about to tell you, let's think about the placement of this episode after the previous one. I don't know about you, but normally when... I'm watching TV because the media is generally thought of as liberal. I normally feel like the programme makers have the same views as me. Um, so when I'm watching something, I'm like, yeah, put that on TV. Women's liberation. Let's have more people of colour. Let's show this LGBT discrimination and how terrible it is and try and sort it out. And with this episode, I started to realise that my personal opinions were not the same as the opinions of the programme makers. And I'll emphasise, don't know anything about any individual's personal views but the program is written and directed by a male pair and as you've all guessed I'm a woman I'm very proud of it in this episode Danielle is often called throughout it a vigilante and again there's a twist in the tale and that's where 
it's supposed to make you think about what you've seen previously, but also I think it reduces something important. Again, as you probably guessed, I'm going to spoil this. Um, so please stop and watch the episode or, or turn this off if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, Danielle runs a company where she tries to um, find paedophiles online and she poses as a 14-year-old girl and then she's kind of using a sting, a honey, honey trap if you will, although I wouldn't say it's quite that vindictive, to um, talk to guys, see if they are... Um, wanting to like get pictures from her thinking she's a 14 year old girl and then she extracts personal information about them and her mo is to then come up with a pack of all the emails or or communications social media communications uh, sent and then she sends it to the police to the family of the man involved maybe his mother or his wife or you know some female member of the family and also to his workplace in order to make sure that the person is punished in all ways possible now again this is the first thing where a lot of people would be like oh my god that's outrageous she is a vigilante how dare she destroy someone's life for someone talking to someone online but I feel very strongly about paedophilia and I would never recommend anyone does this but it doesn't mean I don't sympathize and empathize with what Danielle's trying to do as she's being interviewed you realise that she may have had some trauma in her own life, which is what has led her to set up this business, which she seems to be running with a lot of other women. Um, yeah, and I say business as well. I don't, I don't know if anyone pays, but it's definitely her cause to find these paedophiles and help the police is how, how she's looking at it. And then the twist is that she talks about her two children throughout the uh, interrogation and she says that one of the reasons why is that she wants to protect her children and then you find out that her children were taking into care years ago because of her neglect of them as far as I could tell from the episode I was starting to get really quite upset at this point but as far as I could tell from the episode um it wasn't because she was in any way a paedophile but she may have neglected them in other ways and I suppose the moral is that she was doing what she was doing out of a sense of um, wanting to make up for the fact that maybe she hadn't been a perfect as mother for her kids and then the reason why she's interrogated in the first place is because some of the information she sends out is false or some of the information ends up motivating other people to commit crimes against people so um the daughter of one of the suspected paedophiles gets beaten up by girls at school because they find out um about what he may have been doing so it's it is interesting in the sense of where do you draw the line between instigation of a crime even if it's being committed by someone else but again this episode straight after the previous one i just thought wow so basically women uh, lie about rape and women uh, cause paedophiles to get hurt or their daughters to get hurt and that is much much worse than people being a paedophile and again I keep saying it I know that I'm supposed to be feeling this visceral visceral reaction to these episodes it's supposed to make me think about pros and cons and how this is all very 
detailed and full of nuance on the story involved but I was just depressed I had to turn it off I couldn't watch another episode because I thought what does the these program makers and Netflix think about women they just think that that they're constantly committing crimes against men and I thought this is not what the real life statistics tell us Last year in the UK, the figure was only 1.7% of reported rapes lead to a conviction. Think about that, 1.7%. I also tried to do a little bit of research on paedophiles and that was a bad idea. I don't recommend anyone Google that. Um, Some of the things that people do are absolutely disgusting. You will have heard about paedophile rings in many countries in the world. Um... Do I agree with vigilante justice? Not very often, but I would say that in the world at the moment, I don't think the police can 100% be trusted or certainly um, can't cover all the possible crimes that there are. What Danielle Sharon Horgan's character did was not morally right, but the tone of criminal suggested that she was the criminal and didn't focus on all the paedophiles and all the terrible things that happen. In the end, I don't know how happy I am that this programme was made. I think that the the staging of the episodes, one after the other, was a bad move because I now haven't seen episode one and episode four and I'm missing some really good work from some actors of colour of which um, you know aren't always in starring roles. Um, the acting was fantastic. I believed everything. Um, uh, and it was quite uncomfortable to also watch female solicitors defend a male potential rapist or um, Catherine Kelly's female uh, head interrogator um, just tear women to shreds for their lies when you're not seeing her doing the same thing male characters so there you go i think it's a loathe criminal uk maybe you should watch it if you think you won't be quite as emotionally triggered as me i would love to hear your thoughts on whether it's okay to portray women in this way uh when you're not necessarily doing the same to men who are committing far more heinous crimes on a far more regular basis and are not being held to justice for them never giving you any names you've destroyed this man's life <laughs> i've forgotten what it's like talking to people like you and now somebody who i genuinely think i loved ruth bader ginsburg i wanted to talk about her because i actually did shed a tear when i found out that she died a few days ago and i wanted to talk about how much what she has done has affected me as a woman striving for gender equality. I'm not going to talk about what she did too much. There are thousands of excellent obituaries out there. And there are also lots of quotes that she said. So I want to read a few quotes first and then I want to talk about something a little bit more controversial about the notorious RBG. Ginsburg obviously said lots of things about women. My favourite quote she gave about women is, women belong in all places where decisions are being made. It shouldn't be that women are the exception. 
RBG was also famous for dissenting opinions, especially when she was on the Supreme Court, where um, political leaning was an important factor and was all out in the open, which isn't always the case in every court in the world. And she knew that often there would be an agreed political opinion on a subject. And she very rarely held what was the consensus view on the Supreme Court. So my favourite quote of hers is really simple. It is just this. You can disagree without being disagreeable. And I think that that's one that I want to try and hold to uh, making this podcast and throughout life. But I don't like putting people on pedestals when they are human and human means fallible and I think that RBG still had a few issues when it came to the intersectionality of gender and race. She hadn't always taken what we would call the most enlightened and modern view on racial tensions. She had criticised when sportsmen like Colin Kaepernick kneeled. And one of her more famous quotes about race is, the enormous difference between fighting gender discrimination as opposed to race discrimination is good people immediately perceive race discrimination as evil and intolerable. But when I talked about sex-based discrimination, I got the response, what are you talking about? Women are treated ever so much better than men. And I think that's... um. That kind of sums up the issues here, which is, I completely agree with her that women are (laughs) not treated better than men, and that is a response that people often get, and it's not the truth. But I also think that she was forced into championing gender equality above race issues, when in fact these things intersect. Um, One of the best quotes from her that I can't find an actual source for so I'll never be sure if she actually said it when it came to issues with race and with gender is that she said that they are both fights that people need to win but that as a woman she never felt in danger of her life and I think what she probably meant was as a white woman because I think plenty of women can feel in danger of their life but I do understand that as has been highlighted by recent cases people are murdered and attacked for simply the colour of their skin. And when you add on gender to racial discrimination, it can be just a horrible situation all round. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I think the media and broadcast content needs to really challenge and is doing so. So RPG, absolutely amazing lawyer humanitarian and gender rights activist but her life showed how difficult it is when you have your own privilege and your own discrimination rest in peace rbg that's it for this week's loathe like love if you want to contact us details are in the show notes and at the beginning of this episode thanks so much for listening till next time bye